Om du gillar Skivsnack och vill att den fortsätter så stöd gärna poddens crowdfunding-projekt. Gå in på gofundme.com och sök Stöd Skivsnack. Och där kan du donera valfri slant till vårt arbete med podcasten. Som är ett helt ideellt projekt utan sponsorer och reklaminslag. Tack! Få personer har spelat gitarr på så många skivor som han har gjort. Som studiomusiker, som soloartist och som medlem i Toto. I det här avsnittet gästas skivsnack av ingen mindre än Steve Lukather. Där vi i ett samtal från varsin sida Atlanten över Zoom pratar om bland annat vad som gör en bra liveplatta. Om skillnaden i att i ålder nått 60 plus som musiker jämfört med att vara ung, vild och ovetande. Och vilken är egentligen Totos mest underskattade platta enligt Lukather? Det och mycket annat. Välkommen till Skivsnack. Jag heter Stefan Sundberg. Men vi börjar med det allra senaste från Toto. Liveplattan With a Little Help From My Friends som släpptes här i somras. En platta med en helt ny sättning av Toto där endast Lukather och vokalisten Joseph Williams återstår från den uppställning som annars varit intakt sedan 2010. Och det är något annorlunda liveplatta eftersom den spelades in under pandemin som en livestream utan publik. It's live, it's played live but no audience. I mean except for a few, you know, family members masked up. I mean this is right when it first started to hit. And we wanted to see if we could put together a band from scratch in 10 days and and do this and play total music and see what it sounds like and see if people would accept it. Not as of now 99% of the people love it. There's the 1% of the people say it's not total. You know, yeah, I, I could agree with that. You know, it's not after Jeff died. I mean, you could arguably say it was over then, but there's been 15 incarnations with like, you know, 50 or some odd musicians in and out of the band. You know, it's, it's not total 78. It's not total 84. It's not total 90. It's not total 95. It's not total 2008. It's not total 2019. But it's still total music played by me and Joe, and I've been the only thread through the whole thing. And there's total tribute bands. Why shouldn't I fucking do it? And, you know, our agents, promoters, and people said, use the name Toto, will you? Just do it. You know, you guys have been doing this long enough. I don't want to get in the back of a van and start start over again at 63 years old. I don't deserve to do that. And as long as it's great music played by, I mean, great musicians playing the music right. Yeah, it's going to have a little different flavor. All the versions have. We've had five different drummers, four different keyboard players, three different bass, four different bass players, you know, different sidemen and background vocalists and stuff. So it's changed through the years. I think once people see it and get used to it, they'll accept it. Och anledningen till den här ombildningen av Toto ligger mycket i en segdragen rättstvist där Jeff Pocaros enka stämde Lukather och keyboardisten David Page. Jeff Pocaro var i bandets originaltrummis och medgrundare av bandet och hans enka hävdade att de pengar Jeff har rätt till eller dödsboet då andra ord, inte har betalats ut. Och det här var en rättsprocess som också orsakade stora sprickor i förra sättningen av Toto. Originalkeyboardisten Steve Pocaro försvann och i samma veva blev även David Page sjuk och behövde dra sig tillbaka. So, Steve, is it fair to say that the core of Toto today is you and Joseph Williams? Right now, we're the only ones left that still want to tour. I mean, David can't medically tour, but he'll show up when he can. He still comes to rehearsals, and I still do all the business. And he's 50. I mean, he's still the leader of the band, man. I mean, people think I'm this fucking evil guy that's trying to take over the band. And it's like, Dave's the one going, dude, please be Toto. 
and you know playing his music i'm gonna do it good or i'm not gonna do it at all i mean if people don't can't accept the change well then god bless you Toto's biggest hit, Africa, is not on this new live album. And before the song Home of the Brave, you're saying this is a song we can play without being sued. What do you mean by that? That was a cheap shot about Africa, not not including that, because we would have had to pay a huge license fee. We'll play it live. We can play it live. We're gonna. So thinking, you know, people would tear the seats out if we didn't play it live. But I mean, there was no need for it. I mean, how many versions of Africa have there been on live albums? It just was easier to skip over another litigation, another beatdown, you know, another waste of money. I just said, well, we'll just not do it. It's sad that it has to be this way. It seems petty, but, it, you know, at the same time, the whole lawsuit was petty. So, But this being a, a live recording of a live stream, no audience there. How did you get about getting the, you know, the, the adrenaline kick of, of uh, a live performance, uh, which usually is in front of a big audience? It was hard. We really had to mentally, like after we played the song, it's like, thank you. Here <laughs> in the back. The first time it happened, I had honestly thought about hooking up a sample of a button that I could push with 10,000 people screaming. <sighs> Okay, thank you. Next song. <laughs> but we didn't have that to go. <laughs> but is this album the, the raw deal? We hear what is played, or, or did you do some touching up afterwards? No, man, there's nothing, you know, we can't do that. I mean, we mixed it real well. I mean, you know, the vocals sound huge because he used a nice doubling effect on it. But all those guys, everybody in the band sing for the first time. Even the drummer Spud can sing really well. So our vocals have a different intensity and a sound to it that's real i'm the worst fucking singer in the band <laughs> i mean i never thought of myself as a singer i do it by default because my hearing's fucked up it's like if i can't hear it right i sing too hard and it goes sharp it's like a horn player like if you blow too hard it's you're gonna sound sharp so I, you know, now that I've got a hearing device and I also, you know, hey, after fucking playing loud music since I was nine years old, people are surprised. It should be worse. But now I can EQ my in-ears to a point where it's just like the, the way they've EQ'd this to stop my tinnitus or to help my tinnitus and hear all the frequencies that I was deficit. See, the tone that you hear in your head from the tinnitus, the ring, that's the exact frequency that is lacking. So your brain makes that noise to make up for the loss of the frequency that's where the noise comes from so i always thought like why that noise why does that happen you know i mean there's so little information on tinnitus and there's no cure mm. uh, let's listen to uh, to a bit from the new live album which uh, song do you like best well i like the ones that we hadn't done before like till the end and you know the non-hits you know there were some great moments in there that we hit upon that just sound fresh to me, you know? We did great versions of all this stuff. I mean, considering how little time we had to get it together. These guys were so good, they came in knowing everything. Just came back down, drink that green 
Till the end med Toto från nya liveplattan With a little help from my friends. Och jag samtalar med bandets gitarrist Steve Lukather. Steve, uh, since this is a podcast about records, I have to ask you, do you still own a record collection? I lost my record collection in a, in a transaction that somebody moved my storage space and I lost like a thousand records. Ah, that sucks. But since we're on the topic live albums, I have to ask you, What's your own favorite live albums? Oh, that's hard. There's been there's been some great ones, man. Humble Pie, Live at the Fillmore, Allman Brothers. The Frampton album was great. Uh, Bangladesh. You know, I mean, Yes songs. I, I was such, I used to go to every show that I could when I was a kid. You know, but those are the ones that stick out. Uh, I mean, I'm sure I'll think of 10 more, but... Starship Trooper, yes, from the album Yes Songs. One of your favorite live albums, Steve. But uh, what do you think makes a good live album? Um, performances, different arrangements, you know, seeing how people stretch out and do different solos. And, um, you know, the fact that it has that live energy to it. In the 70s and the early 80s, live albums were important because people had no internet, no YouTube, there were no videos or DVDs of live footage. But uh, today it's a whole different story. Do you think live albums has become redundant today? Kind of, but you know, they're they're 
the reason why we put this one out was to show off the new band. I realized that we have lots of albums with fucking Roseanne on Hold the Line on them into the ad nauseum, you know. But we needed to prove that we could, what it would sound like for the fans to go, well, I'll buy a ticket to see that, you know. Um, it was a test for the band. But, I mean, putting out a live album after every tour is completely redundant. And it, uh, But this this had a purpose. But I agree with you. And also live albums, most aren't really live anyway. You can fix anything now. And so everybody cheats. It's just come, you know, you, you know, come on. You know, everybody goes, well, God, that note is so fucking sharp. Well, I can fix that. <laughs> but live, it's not perfect. No, people, human beings aren't perfect. So if you go hear something live that's perfect, it's the fucking record. I don't make, I made mistakes on the fucking live DVD. And I left them because I mean, well, I can't, you know, I said, look, man, I was so nervous, worried about everybody else that I kind of like didn't play that. Good. <laughs> but, you know, because I was sort of like, oh, God, I hope everything's OK. And then I go, oh, fuck, you know, and then, uh, you know, we only had one go at it and everything. All the mics are on leaking into everything else. So in order to cheat that and auto tune it all, it would fuck up the sound. There was no way to isolate that. You'd hear it really obviously. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, there are always going to be people you know making up stories because they don't like us or whatever so i gotta you know at this point after all these years of taking shit i just kind of laugh it off and go yeah whatever and so what's encouraging is people that actually buy a ticket and want to come see the band yeah but many artists today have stopped making new records they say that there's no money in making records anymore but uh, toto and uh, and yourself as a solo artist you released a new solo album earlier this year uh, keep on doing albums what's your take on that My take on that is, as, a, as an artist, you need to create new stuff. I realize that, you know, playing Rosanna Hole, The Line in Africa is part of my job, you know, and I thank God for those beautiful gifts that I've been given. But if I can't do other stuff, then I just get stale. I realize doing a solo album is like, why would I do a solo album at this point? What am I going to do that's different that, you know? Well, I figured the only thing I could do is go out there and really do it live. Like, keep the solos, no click tracks, no rehearsals, no demos. Here's some charts. Let's run it once and cut. I hired great musicians that were my friends, you know, David Page and uh, Jeff Babco on keyboards. And I wrote a bunch of the stuff with Jeff and Jeff wrote some great charts for us to read, you know, so we knew where we were going. It wasn't all written out, but it was just had a roadmap of how it goes. And it was meticulously done, made it really easy. John Pierce uh, played bass on a couple of tracks. Most of it was Jürgen Carlson from uh, a fellow Swede from the band Go Government Mule, who just played so brilliantly and so fresh and not like a studio guy. You know, and he brought a real rawness to it that I loved. And the incredible Greg Bissonette on drums and myself. And we sat in a room, and all those solos and all those things were alive and no click tracks and you could hear it finding our way and... I just wanted to do that, like take 1971, 72 and bring it into 20, into the 20s, you know. Um, and that's what we did. And I was real proud of the way it came out. Okay. So no overdubs at all. The only thing I overdubbed was vocals. And I doubled a couple of guitar parts and one, one uh, the Joe Walsh tune, I put a bunch of guitar parts on, but I did it all in the time frame of a song a day. We all did a couple of takes on everything. It was, the guys nailed it right away. We, I wanted to keep the freshness and the, By the time you play something a bunch of times, you sort of find a part and you find a thing. And yeah, it may be perfect, but you lose that. Like, I wanted people to go, these guys are really jamming, man. It's not, 
you know, I left long pieces on there. I mean, it was very much a vanity record for me. The record company was great. They said, just play a bunch of guitar, will you? And they gave me money to go in and take care and, and pay my friends and have a great time. And I keep laughing going, and I used to spend six months in the studio. What the fuck? But, you know, it's a much less produced record, obviously. But I needed to do that anyway. Hmm. Uh, there are three covers on your latest solo album by Joe Walsh, Traffic, and Robin Trower. Are they, or were they, maybe I should say, since you lost your record collection, artists that you had lots of albums with? Very important members of my lost record collection. I mean, Joe Walsh is one of my all-time heroes. He's also a friend. But, I mean, I, I worshipped the James Gang and, and Barnstorm and his solo records, and then with the Eagles and stuff. And, you know... He's always been the A producer, writer. I mean, I just love his music. It touched me deeply. I wanted to pay a tribute to him. He he heard it and he loved it and he wrote me a beautiful note. So did Robin Trower. And I don't really know Robin well, but he said, man, great job. I really love what you did, you know, and that meant a world to me because it was such a great song to jam on. And, you know, not a lot of people cover Robin Trower. Not a lot of people cover Joe Walsh. And Low Spark was so I've never met Steve Winwood, but I'm a huge fan. He was played a big part of my musical youth. And I've always wanted to. So I mean, this is a weird song to do, per se, but I thought it was perfect for the band I hired. And really, I picked the cover songs before I wrote anything for the record. Yeah. And that's a good cover. The Low Spark of High Heeled Boys. It's it's just a fun jam. I've been able to explore it. You know, got some great performances out of Paige on Hammond and. Jeff Babko's piano solo is just legendary. It's like very Herbie McCoy Tyner, you know what I mean? It was just, it's fun, man. I mean, I got to have fun with it. I mean, you know, people like it or they go, oh, man, you know, whatever. Where's the new Africa? Spark of High Heel Boys, en traffic cover från Steve Lukather's senaste soloplatta, 
I Found the Sun Again som kom här tidigare i år. Och jag samtalar med Steve Lukather från Stockholm till Los Angeles via Zoom. And Steve, when you make solo albums, and you have made quite a few, I suppose that many Toto fans expect a lot of uh, your albums to sound like Toto. But how do you how do you go about making a solo album compared to to a Toto album? I didn't want to do a Toto album, which is why I didn't. You know, I chose the material and wrote the material in that way, and. Yeah, there's still harmonies. There's still stuff that's maybe reminiscent because it's me and the guys in the band. Joseph Williams did background vocals and helped me produce the lead vocals. Paige played on everything. So there's a flavor, but I don't think song-wise or production-wise it's the same. No, okay. Uh, there's been quite a few solo albums uh, through the years by former or current members of Toto. Do you have any favorite ones? Ooh. Well, Joe's stuff's really good. I mean, you know, um, not many have. I, I mean, I'm I got like ten records out or whatever like that. Uh, David Page is working on a new his very first new EP, and Joe and I have been working on that. And that's some fun stuff. It's great to see Dave back in the studio creating again. And he's just having fun. He's doing four or five tracks. He's going to put out. You know, I don't know when it's coming out. Dave works at a snail's pace. You know. <laughs> But, you know, he's doing something. So that's good. You know, Steve Picard made a great record. You know, I don't know how it did, but, you know, I mean, it, I thought it was a really great record for him. You know, I, I, I hope he's doing well. I haven't spoken to him in a long time. Okay. As we spoke about earlier and the new live album by Toto being done with no overdubs, I guess it was different in the Toto heyday of the 80s when you did like Toto 4 and, and those albums. We also had the time to get into our production jobs. You know, we put the kitchen sink on those records. You know, we had a ball doing it and it, and it clicked. Total four clicked for us. That was when the band found its real thing. And we had all matured enough as musicians and songwriters and were more confident in the studio and were more confident about what sound we wanted to do. We experimented trying to be everything, kind of lost the plot for, you know, we, there were some great moments, but we kind of lost the plot a little bit. And uh, I think Total Four, when we said, fuck it, let's do what we, what, you know, whatever best song makes the record. Doesn't matter. Let's not try to be something. Let's just do what we do. And we got lucky. Yeah. And I guess you had more time and you had more money in those days to to uh, be in the studio and, and take your time making a record. You can make a record for 20 grand if you have to. But if they give you fucking half, you know, half a million, you know. Okay, we were we were young, single, not married, and you know, and loved the studio. We were in the studio like you know, eighteen hours a day. But I don't want to do that now. Okay, I mean, I wake up early in the morning and I go to bed early. It's a much different life. I haven't had a drink in twelve years, almost twelve years. And um, I, my father, three younger children again. I have grown children and younger children. So I'm older and I can't beat the fuck out of myself anymore. And I, I know I, I enjoy the simpler life. You know, I was crazy. I admit it to a fault. I was a, made an asshole out of myself. But, you know, I didn't know. There was no rules back then. There was no, well, be careful when you get older because there was no older people that were crazy. You know, now there's guys in their 70s still falling out of the trees and shit like that <laughs> this rock and roll does keep you young i mean in many ways but it can also kill you if you fucking don't get the memo or you get too deep in as you said earlier you've lost your record collection but which artist and which band did you have most albums with 
I had so many things. So, you know, Hendrix, Beatles and stuff like that. But, you know, I had, you know, records that I played on that are out of print. You know, a lot of stuff like that. It just got ruined. You know, people move my shit and they leave it in the hot room. The records melt. And, you know, it's, you know, it's like, fuck, they do this shit while I'm out of town. You know, don't tell me. You know, I can't cry over spilled milk. No. But looking back at the, the Toto uh, discography, which album do you think is the most underrated Toto album? It's hard to say. It depends. I mean, uh, they're all a snapshot of life. And in chronological order, it's like, uh, this is your life, you know, as I grow. And we made some left turns. We made a covers album I thought was fun. But, you know, people took, got really all pissed off about it. You know, yeah, this sucks. I go, listen to it again, man. You know, we did this in a couple of weeks for fun to celebrate our 25th anniversary as we didn't have anything in, the, in our pocket. And our then manager said, do something fun and go on the road and, and, you know, play whatever you want to play. So we did this fun record. So some people dug it and some people absolutely hated it. I don't know. So, and so that probably rates very low in our catalog as far as with the fans. Um, the rest of it is really a matter of taste, different singers. I mean, the Byron stuff had great tracks, but his voice never really fit the name Toto. But if you took it out of context and just said, this is a new artist that we played on, you go, that's great, you know. But him singing Toto songs just didn't work. And he was, a, a we didn't get on very well. Okay. And just to clarify to the to the listeners, you're talking about Sean Michel Byron, who sang with Toto in the, was it late, late 80s, early 90s, and was only featured on one album, the past to present album. And I can agree, it was a peculiar choice of lead vocalist, but uh, you didn't get on very well. He was not one of us at all. His musical experiences, musical tastes, his, and he just got to be, uh, he didn't grow up like us, and he was a different kind of guy you know it just didn't fit you know people think i hate his guts i don't this is like 35 years ago or whatever man i don't sit around i've actually re-listened to the songs and said oh, there's some great tracks in there man the guy was just sounded good on those songs vocals were hard to get but you know we've had that problem with everything including myself it's not easy to sing in the studio Love Has the Power med Toto från plattan Past to Present. Den enda med Jean-Michel Byron på sång. Och efter man sparkat Byron ur bandet så bestämde man sig för att inte ta in en ny huvudsångare. Utan det blev 
Steve Lukather själv som blev den som skötte mestadelen av sången några år framåt under 90-talet. So Steve, how would you describe yourself as a singer? I'm I'm an adequate at best, you know, but you know, if I can hear it right then it, then I can pull off the songs that I sing. I could never go out and be Bobby Kimball. That was a special voice or Joseph has it just his voice is better than ever now. Fergie had a great voice for a record, but he just it, it, live it was hard and and it's not all his fault. I mean, Page wrote these songs probably like two keys too high. You know what I mean? I mean, Jesus, I mean, they sound great, but to recreate that five nights a week is it would be a burden for anybody. Ask Steve Perry, you know, ask anybody, Lou, Lou Graham. Nobody thought they'd be singing these songs 40 years later, for God's sake. You know, we're kids and we're on, you know, we think we're bulletproof and we do the impossible because we don't know any better. But as you get older, you go, I can't do that anymore, man. I just fuck, you know. Well, and, and how do you look at yourself as a guitar player today versus like uh, the Lukather of the 80s? I'm not in competition with anybody more. There's fucking eight-year-old kids that play better than me. But, you know, I I do what I do, and I'm becoming more honest with that. I'm not trying to be the fastest gun in the West. That was a a, a futile dick-sucking, self-dick-sucking contest that I'm drunkenly used as a default. And I'm, there's some embarrassing, shameful performances of myself that I just can't seem to live down, you know? But it, it, it makes me, it hurts me very deeply that I let myself go like that. And humiliated myself for not being aware, not being self-aware enough to know that I was doing that. I had a lot of misery in myself that I was trying to drown out that my personal life that had nothing to do with the band. And I got off the track, but it's been a long time. You know, I've tried to make good on that. I'm not perfect. I fuck up. I made mistakes. I say stupid shit. I wish I could take back. Hurt people's feelings. I didn't mean to. What can I say? I've gotten older a little bit. I like to think a little wiser. And I'm sorry if I hurt anybody's feelings. I really am. I got hurt too. Life's a struggle, man. You put a teenage kid in the middle of all this and you start him out and you just, in the craziest time in history in LA, I went through it all. It started innocent enough, but I got to do so many cool things too. I don't want to dwell on the negative. I, mean, I got to play on so many great records with so many great artists and musicians and producers and engineers and arrangers and best times of my life such a growth such an honor to look around and go i can't believe i'm in the room with you know rod stewart i'm in the room with uh, mike mcdonald or i'm i'm here with joni mitchell wow you know i mean there are pinch me moments i'm you know ringo's one of my closest friends i never saw that you know been in his band for nine years and a couple albums back i got to write so it's a couple songs of Ringo and Paul McCartney played bass. It was like me, Paul and Ringo. So I've had these moments where I just go, I can't fucking believe it, you know? Yeah. So I, I have to look back and be grateful for what I accomplished in a good way and not dwell on the stupid mistakes that I made. Roll 
Ringo Starr och We're on the Road Again med Paul McCartney på bas och Steve Lukather på gitarr. Och att hoppa in som studiomusiker är ju någonting som Steve Lukather har gjort i många, många år och han har spelat på en oändlig mängd skivor. Idag har han dragit ner väldigt mycket på studioinhoppen. But Steve, do you miss those days being a studio musician for all those different artists? Yeah, I mean, those are the best times of my life, man. Going to work, not knowing what I was going to do, who I was going to play with. And it was just uh, all of a sudden, ah, man, this is going to be such a great day. And then the music's good and we all create together. And there's a feeling of camaraderie in the room and the artist is happy that we try to help produce the record. And, you know, ah, I got another part, man. Let me, you know, and at the end, it sounds kind of like a record. It's not quite done yet, but, you you know, we did that every day, six days a week. And it was a blast. It was so much fun and crazy, and there was so much uh, music and money and and positive. All the studios were buzzing. Everybody was working. It was just a great time in history. Is there any album that you've played on as a studio musician that you are uh, especially proud of? It's impossible, man. Impossible. I mean, famous ones like Thriller and and, and things. Uh, th- th- there was some great stuff, and there was some great stuff from non-famous people. I just can't think of all of them, though. You know. Okay, but is there any uh, guitar solo that you are uh, especially proud of? I don't know. I'm always trying to, you know, they're, they're more, I mean, the Rosanna solo gets probably the most fame, you know, and that was just a one take off the cuff thing. You know, I got, it just, everything clicked on that tune. You know what I mean? It was just, it was a live thing that just we jammed and it kept it. You know what I mean? It just worked. Um, I can't be a good judge of myself. You know, I try my best. I try to play for the song. I mean, some are better than others, but you know, I do try my best every time. But uh, when you're in the studio as a studio musician, uh, hired hand, so to say, uh, do you usually have the space to like play whatever you want, or, or do you have written charts and and uh, directives that you you you're going to play this and this and this? Ninety-nine percent was just play what you play. I mean, occasionally there'd be a written line, but that wasn't really per se a solo. If they want me to do a solo, I play whatever I want. But I mean, they wanted me to play the way I want. I did more melodic stuff. I wasn't trying to be flashy per se on other people's records. If I got a if I got a good look in there, fine. You know, running with the night with Lionel was just a run through. I didn't thought that I didn't know they were recording. And I said, okay, I kind of got it now. Let's let's do one. He goes, you just did. I go, what are you talking about? I played all over this thing way too much. He goes, it's done. Eight minutes, I was done. Running with the Night med Lionel Richie med ett fantastiskt gitarrsolo från Steve Lukather på slutet som han mer eller mindre improviserade fram utan att ens veta att bandet rullade. Steve, I have a last question for you. If you were to mention one album that you think everybody should have or at least listen to, which one would it be? Genesis, Selling England by the Pound. Peter Gabriel, it's the height of their powers. One of the greatest albums ever made. You know, Steve Hackett, you know, Tony Banks, you know, 
Mike Rutherford, Phil Collins, fucking killer. Favorite album in high school. Can you tell me where my country lies? Said the uniform to his true love's eyes. It lies with me, cried the queen of maybe. For her merchandise, he traded in his prize. he left was signed Old Father Thames It seems he's drowned Selling England by the pound Dancing with the Moonlit Night från plattan Selling England by the Pound med Genesis. Den skiva Steve Lukather tycker alla borde ha eller i alla fall höra en gång i livet. Steve, thank you very much for talking to Skivsnack. All right, buddy, I gotta go. Tack också till dig som lyssnar. Spellista från det här avsnittet hittar du på skivsnack.com och glöm inte att prenumerera på podden och att följa oss på Facebook och Instagram. Tack också till Taket för grafisk form. Jag heter som vanligt Stefan Sundberg. Vi hörs. Mm.